Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you for playing. What a blessing. I'll tell the story for the fifth time about Miss Kathy. Um, I just wanted to bring her up to date. I, you know, they go to First Baptist Montgomery, and uh, I understand why you know they need to go to church there and all that. And so, I'm not putting a guilt trip on you, Kathy. But anyway, so uh, so I knew Moses had left, and I just wanted to bring Kathy up to date about church life because when she when she is available, we want her to be able to play for us uh, to give Cindy a break. And so uh, I sent her a text. I didn't even know Cindy had COVID. And so I sent her a text to bring her up to date that, you know, Moses had left. And so, again, saying, you know, when your hubby's out of town and you can come, we'd love for you to come. Anyway, so about the same time, she sent me back a note that says, you know, of all things, he's out of town. I can play this Sunday. I got a text from Cindy and John that they had COVID. So it was God's mercy that uh, we'd have been singing a cappella, which would have really been an ugly scene which would have really been an ugly scene this morning. So it's God's mercy and grace. We, we are grateful when, when Kathy can come and play play for us. Well, your Bibles are open to what book? First Timothy. Your Bible's open to First Timothy. God is good, amen? We love His Word. We love His truth. Now let me tell you the significance. I, I'm, I'm going to not really be exhaustive in, in what I'm teaching this morning about the pastoral epistles, but obviously if you're talking about uh, church doctrine, if you're talking about church order, church government, deacons and pastors, they're not only are the requirements, qualifications, you find all of that in pastoral epistles. And so that's, the, that's one of the importance of the pastoral epistles as you learn the duty of church life, um, how God designed it, and uh, the priorities of the church. And so like today, uh, I'm going to read a little bit more than I would normally read because we're going to be talking about deacons. We're presenting two men uh, to be voted on as a deacon. We're not voting today, but presenting them in our fellowship after church. After, after worship, and uh, one will need to be ordained and one does not need to be ordained. But the qualifications, one of the passages for the qualifications of deacons are in, are in 1 Timothy 3. So we'll read that in just a minute. Now I think, was reading the other day that um, back in 2005, um, Staples... Uh, the uh, supply, I guess, office supply store came out with a very powerful and very fruitful advertisement. They came out with what? It's a red... Come on! The easy button. Well, obviously, it didn't affect you that much, did it? <laughs> they didn't reach you. To... But I can remember, anyway, I was reading about it that and it's still today, you can still go to Staples and buy the easy button. But supposedly, if you choose Staples for your office supplies, it's like hitting an easy button. You have a crisis and you need a toner for your copier, you hit an easy button or you go to Staples and get your toner. So the easy button. Now I want you to think about the easy button and want you to apply that spiritually because a lot of people think church life is as simple as hitting the easy button or 
really once like if you attend church, if you if you come to church and attend church, that's all that you need to be doing. It's like coming to church one time a week is like hitting a spiritual easy button. Is that true? No, it's not true. There's nothing easy, nor is there anything simple about church life or the Christian life. There's nothing easy about it. You know, you know some of the stuff I, I was reading, some of the notes I had written in the past, and you know, one thing I wrote down somewhere, it says, does God deserve better than our mediocrity and our apathy? Really think about that. Doesn't the Lord Jesus deserve better than our leftovers? Does He? But honestly, I'm, I'm speaking personally now, a, a lot of times when it comes to kingdom work, the work of the King, working for King Jesus, often the Lord Jesus does get our leftovers. You know, we, we're, we love to serve self. And then if we have time or effort, whatever, then we might serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How sad. Isn't it time for us to do better? Isn't it time? One of the studies we did years ago was a book called Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. and It's, it's an older book. Uh, and I love the study, but one of the first illustrations he gives in the book is he talks about this wealthy couple that retired in their 50s. And they moved to, to the coast of Florida and they spent their days either sailing in their multi-million dollar boat. I mean, their whole life was about sailing in a big boat or beachcombing. And so they had built their lives around sailing on their big sailing boat or beachcombing and collecting shells. And the whole part of the illustration was that sounds really, really nice and really relaxing, but is that what you really want to be doing right before you meet the Lord Jesus Christ? Really? Wasting your money and time on beach combing and sailing rather than serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul said it at the end at, in 2 Timothy, one day, maybe a year from now, we'll get to the passage in 2 Timothy 4, where he says, and think about being able to say this at the end of his life because he knew he was going to be executed. I have finished my course. What Paul was able to say is, at that point in his life, everything that Christ had called him to do, he had done. I have finished my course. You know, some of us haven't even started our course. And God has a specific path for us to run. You know, three of the things I'm going to be adding to, uh, to our theme, uh, walking in the light, right? Walking in the light of Christ, which we started a year ago. One, a couple of the things that I'm going to add to that is uh, looking unto Jesus. Now think about this, how simple this is. Looking unto Jesus, that's Hebrews 12.2. Running with endurance, Hebrews 12.1, right? So we want to look unto Jesus, who is the light. Looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12.2 says, the author and the finisher of our faith. We want to do it looking unto Jesus. We want to run with endurance, number two. And we want to finish the course. 
Folks, this is, that's true for every Christian that's ever been saved. That is, they're commanded that we do that. These are things that we're supposed to be involved in. And folks, it all boils down to church life. We, you know, boldly Paul says in Romans 12, for we, for we are the body of Christ. Individually, but yet members one of another. We are the body of Christ. In every local church, how profound every local church is a local body of Christ. So all of us are responsible for demonstrating the life of Christ. None of us can do all that Christ did. Well, none of us can really come close to anything that Christ did, but we're supposed to be pursuing that. But by all of our participation together, we are to be Christ's body to this world. I love what, Paul, what the writer of Acts, Luke, Luke in Acts 1 says, that he's writing to Theophilus, you can read it, Acts 1, 1, and 1, 2, and 3, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. See, there's something Jesus finished. He finished redemption. He said that on the cross. It's finished. But there is something else He did not finish, and that's the work of ministry. But yet He is still doing the work of ministry because He has a church called His body. And you're part of that body. Folks, this is why church membership and church participation is crucial. This is why the books of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are very important to every believer. I'm reading out of 1 Timothy 1. I want to read just a portion of chapter 1, and then I want to read part of chapter 3 since that's in the context of the church today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, I'm sorry, I, Paul, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Of course, if you read the book of Acts, you discover you know, that Paul led Timothy to Christ. He ended up baptizing him and he also circumcised him. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, now Macedonia is in Europe, Paul's in Asia, he's on the coast, Ephesus, and then he gets this call, we sing a song, we have heard the Macedonian call today, this is where you get it. Paul gets a call while he's in around that part of Asia, that he needs to go to Macedonia. That's, that's uh, over in, in Europe. And so he goes over from Ephesus to Macedonia. And Macedonia is where Philippi, book of Philippians, Philippi, Berea, and then south of that is, is Corinth. And so, so I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. So this is when Paul left Timothy at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Remember, that's one of the major emphasis. It's not that he lists all the doctrines in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, or Titus, but he keeps talking about we need to stand firm in the doctrines that we've been taught and for us that, that are taught all throughout the Scriptures. 
that needs to be one of the benchmarks of a church, is the church loves doctrine. So he says, I've left you at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrines, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. By the way, all of us in here, um, I know the book of Hebrews says more so for me, we're all stewards of God's Word. Uh, you, uh, stewardship, house management, house law. God has a household of faith. You're part of it. He has a law, how He wants His household to function. That's what the word stewardship means, house law. And all of us are responsible for doing our part in God's house, obeying what God has called us to do in the church. So rather than being caught up in endless genealogies and myths and speculations and spending our time wasted online, we need to be stewards of the truth of God by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And then he just says, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussions. Now look what it says how far these people have gone. Now, these folks are in the church. Folks, for 2,000 years, false teachers have been in the church. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And then Paul just ends the thought, now we know that the Word of God or the law of God is good if one uses it lawfully. So obviously, one of the things, you think Paul had traveled, he had left Timothy at Ephesus, he had gone over to Macedonia, he ends up in Corinth, he's going to stay at Corinth for a while, he, he hears of some of Timothy's struggles, and so he writes this letter back to Timothy to challenge him in his role as pastor of the church. And as, as Robbie read, the importance of this is, is that this church was the largest church in, in, that really, in, that really in all of Asia. It was more than likely the largest church. And the people that did in Asia, in that part of Asia, Turkey today, people that heard the gospel, churches that were established, all of that began at Ephesus. Paul had stayed there long enough to where the word of God had spread all over that part of the world. And it was because folks were being saved and were traveling, as we now know if you read the book of Revelation, because the first church that Jesus speaks to in Revelation 2 is the church at Ephesus, because it was the leading church of that area. But we move on. Go to, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to read all of chapter 3, because we are talking about deacons today and uh, at our meeting. And I just want to read all of chapter 3, because it talks about my qualifications and the qualifications for deacons. We're not going to be exhaustive. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. But I do want you to see God's Word. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the word overseer can also 
be translated bishop. There's three words in the Bible for what I do. Uh, there is the word overseer or bishop. Overseer is a good translation of the word. It's the word episkopos. You don't care about that. That's the Greek word. But it's the word epi, upon, and the word scope. To scope, to study, to look at. So, oversee. So, the, the trans, a good English word is overseer. So, it's talking about the pastor. But it happens to use the word overseer. So, I, he says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, could be translated a one-woman man, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. By the way, the major difference between me and a deacon is that phrase, able to teach. The, most of the qualifications are moral, okay? And the big difference between an overseer is we're gifted to teach. Deacons don't necessarily have to be teachers. That's what he says. I'm not, a, not to be a drunkard, nor violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil, pride. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That's important. They must hold the mystery. You know, when the Bible speaks of a mystery... It's talking about something that has been hidden, but now that's been revealed. You know, the Old Testament saints didn't have any idea that Christ was going to die for sin like He did. The Spirit was going to come and indwell believers, and believers would gather in groups, and it would be called a church, an ecclesia, a group of called-out believers. So this is a mystery that's been revealed to us. The Old Testament saints had no idea. Even the angels didn't understand it. And we'll talk about that later on. He says, And let them also be tested first. And let them be tested first. You know, whether it's a, a pastor. Um, it is a little different for a pastor because sometimes like one day, I'm not going to be your pastor and so y'all will call another pastor. And so how we do that is, you know, you have a search team and they find somebody and then they'll come here and preach. They may come here and preach two or three times or maybe once or twice. I don't know how you'll do it. But I mean, you kind of think you know them, but you don't really know them. But a deacon has been in the... This, a deacon earns the respect of the people. He's part of the family. And that's kind of what Paul's reminding about deacons. You know, they hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first 
So you know, you know they've passed the test and maturity and, and being respectful and being obedient, understanding Scripture, those things. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. That word blameless is not the word sinless. It's the word that without it, it means an accusation can't stick. Zach's a deacon. Zach's sitting on the back over here. The word that he means blameless, it means I can't point my finger at Zach and say, Zach, you're a stinking hypocrite because you did this and that and the other, and it be true. To be blameless is you're above reproach. Somebody can accuse you of something and it be true. Let them prove themselves to be blameless. So like the two candidates we have and we'll discuss, you know them. You know whether they meet these qualifications. Now obviously your pastor and the other deacons think they do or they wouldn't be presented. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now if you talk to Dale Monroe, is Dale in here? Is he over in the Hey, Dale. You know, being a deacon for many, many years, did we ordain you? Or did you get ordained? Okay. Okay. Uh, Let's, I'm going to make up a number. Let's say Dale's been a deacon for 15 years. Well, if you ask Dale, Dale, do you have more confidence in sharing God's Word or in leading God's people now than you did 15 years ago? What would the answer be? He has more confidence now. And that's part of the benefits, or that's really one of the spiritual blessings of fulfilling the role of a servant. And you know, they're not businessmen. They're servant leaders. That, you know the word deacon. You know, the root word, it just means really the first time it's used in the Bible, uh, well, the first time it's used in the book of Acts, it, it, it's, it's, they were table waiters. They, they served food. It, so it's, the, the root idea is they're servants at heart, but they're also leaders. You discover that by reading the book of Acts, and you find out that every time they did something important, guess who was involved? The deacons were, you know. I'm not a dictator, so somebody has to share the leadership with me, so it has to be qualified men that do that, like Robbie and, and the deacons. So it says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, Paul says. But I'm writing these things to you so that... Are you looking at your Bibles? By the way, these were our theme verses in 2017. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? Um, verses 15 and 16 were our theme verses uh, in 2017. And I spent an entire year talking about the body of Christ. So he says, if I'm delayed, he, Paul says to, to Timothy... Hey, I'm hoping I'm going to come back through Ephesus and visit with you. But he says, if I'm delayed, um, I'm writing this so you may know, look at your Bibles, how one ought to behave 
in the household of God, interesting word, household, you find that multiple times in the New Testament, we're called either a family of faith or a household. That's two of the words the Bible uses to describe what we are. So we are the family of God. Um, we used to sing uh, one of our welcome songs, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Y'all heard that, right? Honey, you want to stand up and sing it for us? Just checking. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Um, I don't even know the words to it now, but you know the song. It's because we are a family. We are a household of faith, and you have to think just like that. So how God commands the order of a household or a family, also we're a family, and there's order in the family, the spiritual family, the spiritual household. So he says, if I'm delayed, I'm writing this so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, better translating God's living church. No, the living God's church. So it's God's church. He owns it. We know He owns it because Acts 20 says He purchased it with His own Son's blood, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress, or really deeper foundation. So you have pillars, and then you have something deeper than pillars of the truth. Great indeed. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world and taken up into glory. I want you to notice just three simple things about this passage. I'm going to stick right here just for a second. I want you to notice about the people of God, okay? We are the people. You know, the Bible, there's a, one of the Bible words that describes believers is, is a word, uh, laos, you don't care, but sometimes we call the laity. I don't know if you've ever heard of that word, but sometimes in church life they say that, that we're the ministers. This isn't exactly true, by the way. But they say, okay, you have your ministry staff, then you have your laity. And, that's, and laity comes from, it means the people. It comes from a Greek word, laos. God has His people, His laos, His people. Peter describes us as God's people. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people that. A, matter of fact, he uses the word in English. It's called a peculiar people. And the idea of us being God's people, that word peculiar, is the idea of wrapped, being wrapped, and so wrapped around. So it means that we're God's people, and and we're God's people. So therefore, we're wrapped around the life of Christ. So you're, we identify ourselves by how we live. It's not necessarily where we go. Sometimes it's not necessarily how we talk. It's about how we live. Because we're His people. We are, we are His household. We're His people. He's, he saved us and bought us. And He's brought us into His kingdom. And so Paul mentions that we're the household of faith. So we're His family. We're His people. And there's several, several, several other... I only can't say that. Several other metaphors for that, you know. We're sheep who wander around. We're a building, and there has to be a foundation and cornerstones. But one of the important ones is that we are God's people, and as God's people, we are wrapped around Him. 
Not only is there a people, I'm looking at the clock because I want to I want to fulfill my, my obligation to finish my, but there's a place. We're the family, but there's also a place. We're the people, but what's the place? The church. The church. Folks, I, I mean, first you have to ask yourself, why in the world does the New Testament use the word church 105 times? 105 times. The word church, or the original word in the Bible is ecclesia, which means an assembly called out. Ek, out of a group of people called out. Ecclesia. So we are literally God's called out assembly. We're His church. So we're not only the people of God, but the people of God have a place. And that place is called the church. And yes, the Bible clearly speaks of church membership and church attendance. All throughout the Bible, it talks about numbers and it talks about responsibilities. Matter of fact, you're going to read about assigning widows and orphans. And how do you assign widows and orphans as you have names and places where they live? They're members of a certain... But you keep up with membership. So you have the people of God, which are those that are saved by the grace of Christ, the power of Christ, but also you have a place. It is the church. It's God's call. This is the church of the living God. This is... This is where you plant your life. Um, There's so many things we could talk about that, but briefly let me just say, when you think about who you are as a believer, God, when, when you got saved, the moment you got saved, part of the new birth included God gifting you. We, we talked about that last Sunday, where that comes from, how the picture of that in the Bible. But Christ gifts you at salvation. You're not only saved and the Holy Spirit's the down payment that He's going to give you all the other promises, but you get gifts, spiritual gifts. Well, why did God give you a spiritual gift? What, was it for your own glory? Was it for your, for your, so you would have good self-esteem? Why did God give you spiritual gift? Why did He give it to you? What does the Bible say? For who? Who's it for? The church. It's for everybody else that's in here. So your gifts and ability, God distributed that to you, whatever that might be. That's why you need to come Wednesday and start discovering maybe where you're gifted. And when you do those things and serve the body of Christ, you're, you're doing the very things the Bible says do. Your gifts were given for the, the Bible says, for the building up of the body of Christ. House building. It's oiko domain. For building up the house. So you need to be a part of building up the house. And you build up the house by taking your gifts and bringing them and using them in the body. So not only are we the people of God, this is the place. We're the church. Folks, church attendance and church membership are important. There's so many things people miss by being an isolated Christian. Um, matter of fact, I don't think you can grow like you can grow at being a part of the body. I mean, you can watch as many TV shows as you want you can get online and read as many do as many online Bible studies as you want, but God promised to bless the church because Christ purchased it. It's His. And He said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. 
Now, almost every time that word church is used, it's talking about a local group of people. Almost every time. Not every time. but um, So he says, and I will build my church, my local church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Christ wants to build the church. He wants to build Redland Baptist Church. Now that can be numerically, but also can be just spiritually. But Christ wants to build His church. You need to be a part of that. Matter of fact, the Bible says you must be a part of that if you want to be obedient. So it's about the people of God. It's about the place of God. And it's about the purity of God's people. And the whole thing, I just want you to see, I've got five minutes. Look down. Uh, he says at the end of verse 15, so he says, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and foundation of what? Truth. Now, the significance of this idea here, that what's... And, and, uh, I'll give you an illustration. I, I, uh, I've, it's, I've got eight minutes. All right. Okay. Here's an illustration. Remember when Moses came here, our minister of music, Moses? Moses was a talker, wasn't he? Okay. Compared to, compared to Walter, right? He was a talker. Walter never said anything. When he led 20 years, Walter said a handful of words. So when Moses came, Moses was a talker. Good to see you. Uh, Moses was a talker. I'm not used to Mr. Music talking. You weren't either, but I especially wasn't. So I told Moses he talked too much. Honestly, I had to meet with him. and It's driving me crazy. And, and the reason is, here's the truth. Now, I'm not being ugly, but what's my job? My job's about the truth. So, and I told him, I said, now, I didn't mind him saying stuff, but his, what he was doing is, I don't know if you remember the first two or three weeks, was, and I love him, he's a good friend, but he, right before I was going to preach, like the last song we would sing before the preaching, he'd talk for two or three minutes. Of course, number one, I'm thinking, he's taking my time. But the second thing I'd be thinking is, uh, I'd listen to everything he was saying. Well, I told him, I said, wonder if I don't agree with you. Wonder if what you say doesn't make sense, or wonder if what you say is not what I believe. I said, you've got me off topic. I'm supposed to be getting ready to preach, and now I'm thinking about what an idiot you are, or whatever. You know? So, but, but it's about truth, right? It's about truth. Folks, we don't care what your opinion is. We care what the Scriptures say. You're the foundation. You're the pillar and foundation of the truth. This is the purity. Every church, if they're a true church, when you go to worship, I don't care where you're going, whether it's Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Southern Baptist, Independent, Methodist, whatever. When you walk in the doors, the one thing you should know about that church is they stand for the truth. And the truth is not a per the truth is in this in this book. It's not people's opinion, it's in this book. So if they're not preaching God's word, they're not standing on the truth. Now let me tell you the important I'll give you one illustration and we'll finish. One reason Paul uses this phrase. Well, look what he says. Well, let me read it and then I'll come back. Okay? He says, So the church of the living God, a pillar and, and boot or foundation of the truth. And then he says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. So he then he goes on to say, hey man, there's a great confession we have. And he mentions about five or six things we confess. 
But let me tell you why he did, or one of the reasons why he did that. If you, we go back and read in Acts 19, there's a, there was a temple in Ephesus called the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. Okay? It was one of the seven wonders of the world, but, but that temple, and you can still see remnants of it today, they had a hundred, it's in Ephesus, it, uh, it, had a, it was a huge complex and it had 127 pillars. Not a pillar, but a pillar, right? So this big structure, I forgot what size it was, but all these pillars that held up the structure. And Paul's using that because remember what they started losing their income and they started shouting, if you read all, great, great is Artemis, great is Artemis, you know, because they were selling their trinkets and people were getting saved and, and rejecting the trinkets of, of the goddess Artemis. And, and so great is that you can read there in Acts 19. Well, Paul's using that. So there was all these pillars to the goddess Diana. Well, there's a pillar to the truth. And it should be every local church that's the body of Christ ought to be standing for the truth. And rather than us shouting, you know, great is the temple of Artemis, what do we shout? He says, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. And here's what we believe. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up to glory. That, that's what we, that's what, that's our chant. That's our cheerleading cry. This is what we believe. Greatest Christ, resurrected from the dead, manifested in the flesh. This is what we believe. One last thing. It says, we confess. That's pretty emphatic in the text. We mutually confess. If you believe the Scriptures, you believe these things. If you believe the truth, you believe these things. But he says, we confess is the mission. And then he says, he was the first phrase. We just got through celebrating it. He was, he was manifested in the flesh. What does that tell you about Christ? He was one of the first things we have to believe about him. He was manifested in the flesh. What do we believe about Christ? Preexistent. He's eternal. He well, we just celebrated the birth of Christ. I mean, Jesus, when he was born, it, that's not when he exi- he preexisted, right? You know, the word became flesh. He was manifested in the flesh. On Christmas Eve, when we took the bread, that's one of the things we remember. God actually became a man. So what Paul does is he's kind of mocking the celebration of the false worship. And he says, hey, we have our own celebration. We believe the truth. And that truth begins with He, Christ, God became a man. Christ was manifested in the flesh. So when you're reading about the church, we learn about we're the people of God. We're the place for God's people. And not only that, but we're a people that's to be purely committed to God's truth. Now folks, listen to me. It's possible to be a member of the church and not be a member of the kingdom. You hear what I'm saying? 
It's possible to be a member of the church and not be a member of the kingdom. You may have gone through the baptismal waters here or somewhere else, but those baptismal waters do not save. Taking the Lord's Supper dozens and dozens of times does not save. Who saves you from sin? Jesus Christ. Right? So I want you to know, I want you to be committed to church membership and committed to the local church. But I do not want, do not want you to think that church membership saves. Folks, we're the people of God and the people of God have a place and the place is called the church. For we are the body of Christ. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and our hearts are open unto the Lord Jesus. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And folks, I've, I've, I've committed a sin already. I'm a little bit late. But our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And I do want to take just a moment or two and I want to have a moment of invitation. But let me explain the invitation this morning. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And in just a second, we're going to stand and sing one verse of living for Jesus. But, but here's the invitation. Today could be a day of decision for you in the sense that you decide that you're going to make a commitment to church membership. You're publicly going to come and say, I'm saved, but I'm not a member of a local church, but I want to plant my life here. That, that might be your commitment. So when we stand and sing, we're praying that maybe that might be what God is leading you to do. But there's other decisions that couldn't be made when we stand and sing. Maybe you're here today and you are a church member, but you're not a member of God's kingdom. You've never been saved. We're praying that today you will be saved from your sins and you will actually be born, in, born into the family of God. This invitation can be for all believers in the sense that you're here today and you're not living like you should, but it's time for you to be the saint or the child of God that He's called you to be. Maybe it's, it's a day of repentance for you. Reconciliation. But in a moment when we stand, we just simply are going to ask you to do what God wants you to do. Father, we, we love you and thank you for these moments that we can respond to your word in, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask